Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to 1 John chapter 3. Your Bible should start just falling open to that because we've been on 1 John chapter 3 for several weeks now. So 1 John chapter 3, we're going to start here in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Just dwell on that statement for just a minute. That the world does not know us because we look so much like him. And if they did not know him, they won't recognize us. What a powerful, powerful statement. Beloved, we are the children of God. Beloved, now we are the children of God. That now is important. Because it's not that we're the children of God when we eventually make it to heaven. Now we are the children of God. Not when we clean up our act enough. Now you are the children of God. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Wow. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Look at this. Just as he is righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God, I love this verse, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Praise the Lord. Let's look at this last verse. This is a little bit of review from last week. Verse 9, whoever has been born, everybody say born, of God, does not, there you go, yeah, sorry, I wasn't specific there, just born, that's all you needed, just born of God, does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, he has been born of God, that word born is the word geneo, or geneo, it means become the parent of, to cause to be born, to begot, or conceived. 
It's the same word that describes Jesus being born of God in John chapter 5, verse 1. You have the DNA of God on the inside of you. The word seed there is the word sperma. It means offspring or origin. His DNA, again, is on the inside of us. This is what it is on the inside of us. This is what is on the inside of us. We, we have the DNA of God on the inside of us. But how many of you know it is not always what is seen? Right? The only analogy that I can think of is, is this. We have a butterfly on the inside of us. But oftentimes what we see is the worm. So we have the DNA of God on the inside of us. But it's not always what we have seen. So the question becomes, what activates God's DNA on the inside of us? How do we start looking just like him? You are God's children now. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus now. That is what's on the inside of you. How does what's on the inside of you become manifested on the outside? This verse that I just read, this passage that I just read, has some incredible, incredible insight into this. So let's look real quick in verse 2. It says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is, say it with me, revealed, just that word, ready? Revealed. When he is revealed, we shall be just like him, for we shall see him as he is. That word revealed is the Greek word phanirao. All right, say that with me. Ready? You got to get the curl in your tongue too or it's not authentic. Phanirao. I've been practicing that all week just so, just so I could. I don't know if it's pronounced right, but it's how it's pronounced in my head, if that makes sense. Phanirao. It means to make clear or to be made visible. To be made clear or to be made visible. So when he is made visible, we shall be just like him. For we shall see him. We shall see him as he is. Now look in verse 5. And you know that he was fanirao, that word manifested, is the same word for reveal. And you know that when he, or that he was manifested, revealed, to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. So what is it saying? In the revealing of Jesus, sin is eradicated. When you see him, sin is eradicated. The word fanirao is the root word, I'm sorry, the root word for the word fanirao, (laughs) I just like saying it, the root word is the word phos, which is the word light. God is phos. He is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. The only way, we've said this last week or a couple weeks ago, listen, the only way the darkness on the inside of you wins is if you stop coming to Jesus, who is pure false. He is pure light. So what's it saying here? And you will know that he was manifested. He was revealed. 
his light had become clear. Why? To take away your sins. In the revealing of Jesus, sin is eradicated. Verse 6. Whoever abides, meneo, which means to remain or stay with, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins, look at this, has never, never seen him or known him. Are you catching what I'm getting at this morning? Whoever abides, who lives in, who remains with, who stays with, in him, does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him, which is the word horeo, see the tongue roll, which means to become visible, to perceive, or to experience. Whoever sins has neither seen him visibly, perceived him, or experienced him. Or known him, which is the word genasco, which means to understand or to have intimate relationship with. It means to know him as a husband and a wife know each other. There's an intimacy. There's an understanding. It's not a casual knowing. Verse 8. I love this one. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, which is Farnario or Rio, Rial, whatever it is. For this reason, the Son of God was manifested. He was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. Destroy is the word raise, which means to annihilate into oblivion, to cause to cease to be as though it had never existed. And what does he destroy? The works of the devil. The word devil, obviously, is the word diablos, which means slanderer, false accuser, and deceiver. So what are the works? He distorts the truth. He distorts the truth as he did in the garden and as he still does today. When Eve comes to the tree of the life, I'm sorry, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent is in the tree. What does the serpent say to her? She says, I, you know, I can't eat of this tree because the Lord said that this day I will surely, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And what did he say? No, you won't die, right? And then he goes on and he says this. He says, the reason, and I'm paraphrasing here. He says, the reason he doesn't want you to eat it is because the day that you eat it, you will be just like him, knowing good and evil. See how he distorts the truth. Because the truth is, Eve, you're already like him. You were made in his image and likeness. No other creature was made in his image and likeness. But when he came to you on the day of creation, he molded you with his own hands. He breathed his own breath into your lungs. And he made someone who was made in his very image and likeness. Eve, you already look like him. But here comes the deceiver, the distorter. And what does he say? You won't, God won't let you eat of the fruit because in that day you're going, you'll be just like him. And God doesn't want you to look like him. 
The devil is a deceiver. He's a liar. He is a distorter of truth. Why was Jesus manifested and revealed? To destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. In the revealing of Jesus, the distortion of the devil is destroyed. Because when we see Jesus, we see the truth of who we are. Come on, church, that's good. When we see him, we see the truth of who we are. Listen to this. Jesus didn't just come to reveal who the Father is, although he did come to reveal who the Father is. But he also came to reveal who you are. And you, as this scripture says, and so many others and throughout the, throughout the scriptures, you look just like him. And when you see what he looks like, the distortion of who you are, the works of the devil that comes and distorts your identity is destroyed. It's annihilated into oblivion. It's caused to cease to be as though it had never existed. Listen, church, we can never have a high enough view of Jesus. We can never have a high enough view of Jesus. How we view Jesus now as glorious and as beautiful as we see him, he is more glorious and more beautiful than we could ever have imagined. We cannot emphasize Jesus enough. He shows us what the Father is like, and he shows us what we are like. Thank you, Jesus. He's so good that I got him tattooed on my arm, his whole face right there on my arm. Jesus is, we, we cannot elevate Jesus enough, amen? I'm gonna need you all to wake up a little bit more this morning, amen? I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm uh, have to, having to encourage myself in the Lord. I'm David this morning. David encouraged himself in the Lord. So whatever, you can all be quiet. I'll just encourage myself. What I'm trying to show you, and I think you have, can see this, what I'm trying to show you in all of this is that the way that we awaken the DNA of God on the inside of us is by beholding and abiding in Jesus. You become what you behold. You become what you stare at. Have you all ever noticed how through the years, husbands and wives start to look like each other, right? Who's, who's been married the longest in the room this morning? Does anybody, anybody think they have a shot? Go ahead and yell out, <laughs> Scott. No, I didn't say who feels like they've been married the longest. I need actual numbers, actual numbers. 35 years, anybody top 35? I know we've got, I know, yeah, there we go. How many years back there? How many? 61? 61, both of you? All right, now, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Now, I want you to look back there at these two couples. Identical, right? <laughs> Identical, right? They start looking, and it's not, just, it's not just physical features, right? 
they start acting alike, right? You start your, your character, the, the way you perceive the world begins to mesh together, right? You, you, uh, you, you start smelling like each other. Has anybody noticed that? You start, you start smelling like each other. Yeah. It's, I know, it's weird. Hopefully, you start smelling like the lady and not the man in the relationship, right? But you start acting alike. You start talking similar, right? You start having the similar, similar or the same mannerisms, right? And the longer you're married, the more you begin looking like each other. Because beholding is becoming. What you stare at, you begin to, that, that begins coming out on, in the inside of you. I even as a kid, I, I remember thinking, maybe I'm the only one. So if, if I am the only one, then I take it back. But I remember as a kid, like, people started looking like their cars. Anybody else think that? Right? Like, yeah, see, my Uncle George drove a minivan, and in my head, my Uncle George looked like a minivan, right? They looked alike, you know? <laughs> so that's, if that's maybe more incentive for you to get a nice sports car or a nice big truck, I don't know, get a nicer car. But what you behold you begin to look like. What is John telling us here in 1 John? He's saying over and over again, in the revealing of Jesus, when you see him, you begin to look just like him. When you spend time in his presence, that's why worship and, and studying scripture and spending time in the word and spending time in worship is so important because as you do, you become what you behold. You begin looking like what you stare at, amen? We see this as an example in Genesis chapter 30. We're not going to read it here for time's sake this morning, but Genesis chapter 30 tells the story of Jacob and Laban. Jacob worked for Laban for many, many years because he wanted to, uh, to marry Laban's daughter. He ended up with two of Laban's daughters because Laban is a tricky guy, right? We won't go into all of that story, but he worked for the hand of Rachel, and he ended up first with um, Leah. Thank you. He ended up with Leah and then later on was able to marry Rachel. But he's been working for Laban for many, many years. And now Jacob has two wives. He has a kid on the way and he decides maybe it's time for me to move out of my father-in-law's house. Right? He's a millennial. Right? He takes a while to get out of the house. So he decides it's time to move out of Laban's house. So he goes to Laban and he says, Laban... I've been working for you for these many, many years, and it's time for me to take my two wives and my, my newborn child and move to a new region and to, to my own home country. Laban says something interesting. He, Laban looks at him, and, and Laban doesn't like this idea, right? Because Laban says, Jacob, my house has been prosperous because of you. Now, this, this is a little extra to hear this morning, but it's, it's such, a, a, such an incredible revelation in this passage. Laban literally recognizes that the reason that he has become wealthy was because of the favor that rested on Jacob. That Laban became wealthy because of Jacob's favor. And so Laban doesn't want Jacob to leave because he doesn't want the favor that rests on him from the Lord to leave as well. And here, here's the revelation in that, that the people around you 
can be affected by the favor of God on your life. And just as important to realize, your life can be affected by the favor of God on somebody else's life. So it's important, church, that we are intentional about who we connect ourselves with. Because who you connect yourself with can affect the favor that is flowing through your life. So that's just a little side note. Laban realized the favor that was on his life because of Jacob living in his house. So Jacob is wanting to leave. Laban doesn't really want him to, but he realizes that he's a grown person and he can do what he wants. So Laban says, you know what? What are the wages? What, what are you wanting? Jacob says, you know what? I don't want you to give me anything. Instead, here's, here's what I want. Any sheep or goat in the herd that has spots or stripes or is black, go ahead and give them to me as mine. And then any other sheep that is, is, is born is yours. This apparently was a pretty sweet deal for Laban because Laban doesn't hesitate. He goes, well, absolutely. Like, that's a good deal, right? There's no negotiation. Laban is totally fine with this deal. And so, so they make the deal. They shake hands. They go to work. But here's what happens. Laban, who is extremely tricky, and who is extremely dishonest, as we see many times throughout the scripture, what Laban does is he goes and has his sons take out all of the speckled and the striped and the black sheep from the herd, and then he tells them to journey three days away from where they're at so that there is no speckled or striped or black sheep left in the herd. So he makes this deal and then immediately deceives Jacob once again and takes what is rightfully Jacob's to a three days journey away. The idea that Laban has here is this, that any of the sheep or goats that have the gene for spots and stripes and, and black fur, or what do you call, I know fur's not right for sheep. What is it? Wool, right? All you sheep herders? Wool, okay. That have the wrong color. Any of them that have that DNA he takes out of the herd so that when they breed, there will be no more of those types of sheep or goats. This is his thinking. So, Jacob goes to work again for Laban to earn his wage. God, this is amazing. If you look in chapter 31, it says that Jacob has a dream. And I'm actually going to read it for you this morning. It's not back there, Chad. So just, just listen this morning. I love what this says. God gives Jacob a dream. And here's the dream. It says, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived. So it's breeding. It's, it's time for breeding. It's time for the flocks to conceive. That I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leapt upon the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray-spotted. I love the, the term the New King James uses there. They leapt upon the flocks. <laughs> then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. 
And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, gray, and spotted. Look at that. All of the ones who are about to go into mating are streaked, speckled, and spotted. But wait a second. Laban took all of the sheep that were streaked, speckled, and spotted out of the flock and took them three days away. But here the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. The ones that are about to breed are streaked, speckled, and spotted. On the outside, these sheep are pure white. But God is saying, no, they're streaked, speckled, and spotted. What is God saying here? He's saying that Laban thought he took all of the DNA for the streaked, speckled, and speckled and spotted <laughs> flocks away. But what I'm telling you is, is the ones who have the white coat have this recessive dormant gene on the inside of them that Laban doesn't know is there. And when they conceive, they will give birth to speckled, spotted, and striped sheep. And so what does Jacob do? You see here, this story is a mix between, uh, this story here is a mix between natural happenings, that there's really a gene on the inside of them, and, and the, the um, supernatural hand of God. So Jacob, what he does then is he goes and he takes branches and he stripes the branches. He takes, he takes half the bark off and stripes the branches. And it says that he lays the branches in the watering troughs that the animals come to drink out of. And as the animals are drinking out of the water troughs, and then he, says he sets them up around them so that when they mate, they're staring at these striped branches. So what happens then? As they stare at the striped branches, the dormant gene on the inside of them for speckles and spots and stripes comes alive and they begin to produce what they see. Because beholding is becoming. That it wasn't that the sheep did not already have the gene on the inside of them because God comes to Jacob in a dream and says, listen, they may look white, but I'm telling you, these sheep are streaked and spotted and striped. So they may look white, but there's a gene on the inside of them that as they stare at something that is striped, they will produce, they will awaken that dormant gene on the inside of them and begin to produce what they see. Amen? Staring at the striped branches awakened the striped gene on the inside of them because beholding is becoming. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, John, and James up on a mountain. In verse 17, chapter, verse 1, it says, sorry, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transformed or transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, 
His clothes became as white as the light. Another, in another uh, gospel, I believe it's in Mark, it says that he became, his clothes became so white that there was no launderer that could produce the kind of white that his clothes were. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus climbs the mountain and comes into the presence of his father, what was on the inside of Jesus began to manifest on the outside. Pure light began manifesting from the presence of pure light. In the presence of his father, Jesus, the divine nature on the inside of him began to come out. The word there, transfigured, is the word metamorpho. And this is what the word transfigured means, the word metamorpho. It means giving outward expression of one's inner character. The outward expression coming from and being truly representative of the inner character. It's not transformed into something new. It's what was already on the inside being manifested or revealed on the outside. And this is what is happening here in the transfiguration of Jesus. It's not that Jesus became something new. It's that what was on the inside of him, the DNA, the gene, the divine gene on the inside of him, got in the presence of his father. And in that beholding, that gene became manifested. It came out. Metamorpho, what was inside, came out, was expressed. Amen? This is where it gets fun. Are you ready? This is the same word used to describe what happens in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which is one of, one of my favorite passages in scripture, and I know I say that for a lot of passages, but this is one of them. It says this, it says, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being, and here it is, transfigured, metamorpho into his very image. That word image is the word icon, which means the exact replica. It's, it's, it's like someone painting a portrait of somebody, that there is a prototype, right? And in that prototype, they make a painting that looks just like the prototype. So we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. We are not being changed into something that is new. We are being changed into something that is already 
on the inside of us that was put on the inside of us on the day of creation when God said, let us make man in our very image and likeness. That dormant DNA that is on the inside of us becomes revealed when we are in the presence of Jesus. It gets even better. Metamorpho is a compound word. It comes from the word meta, which means together with, and the word morph or morphe or meros is another way to pronounce it, which means portion or form. This word is literally the opposite of the word hamartia, which is sin. Hamartia, if you remember, is a compound word, which means ha without meros, which means portion or form. So literally sin means to be without portion or form or a distorted or a distortion. Morphe literally means to be with portion or form. So when we stare at the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, metamorphe happens, which means the image and likeness of Jesus awakens on the inside of us. And what was once distorted through sin now come, becomes uh, clear and with portion and form. Amen? Come on. Amen. That was a lot of nerding out, as we like to say. But there's so much gold in all of that. That when we realize that, that, that there is something on the inside of us that awakens when we are in the presence of Jesus. That just as he was transfigured, we are being transfigured. And what are we being transfigured into? The very image and likeness of Jesus. We look just like him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Again, what's the point? As we behold him, we are being transfigured into his image. As we approach perfect light, listen to this, we are transfigured into light. This is more, church, than about not sinning. That's a big deal. Not walking in sin is a big deal. Amen? Not being a slave to sin is a huge deal. But it's more than just about not walking in sin. It's about looking just like him. And that doesn't mean just taking on his nature not to sin. It means taking on his authority and his light in this world. Let me show you what I mean. Describing Jesus in John chapter one, verse four and five, it says that in him was life and the life was the light or foss of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. In John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says, as he does several times throughout the gospels, he says this, he says, I am the light, the foss, of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. 
But look at this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and then we're also going to read verse 16. That the light of the world, Jesus, the light of the world says this, you are the light, the foss of the world. You are the light of the world. As a city is set on a hill that cannot be shaken. Then it says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying all throughout the Gospels, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I come and I light up the darkness. There, God is perfect light and in him there is no darkness. There is no shadow. But then Jesus turns around and flips it and he says, no, 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 wait. I'm the light, but guess what? You are the light of the world as well. That your job is now to represent me. It says that greater works you shall do because I go to my Father. It says in, in John, I believe chapter 16, it says that just as you sent me to represent you, now I send them to represent me. It's way more. Being, being coming, becoming the image and likeness of Jesus is not just about defeating sin. It's also showing the world what he looks like because when they look at us, they see him. When they look at you, they should see Jesus. Because guess what? As we begin to look like him, just like a married couple, we begin acting like him. Our responses start sounding a lot more like his responses. Our authority starts looking more like his authority. We become what we behold, and as we behold him, we become the light of the world because he was the light of the world. Romans chapter 8, it says, that the earth is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. The world is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. What is, what is that? What are they looking for? What are, what are they hungry for? What is it that they are groaning for? They're groaning for the sons and daughters of God to begin becoming the light of the world that they were intended to be. That we would begin looking like Jesus. That we would begin representing him in the world. That the authority he had to change the world, he has given us that same authority to change the world. And we step into that authority by beholding. by coming into his presence, by setting our gaze upon him. And the more we gaze upon him, the more that DNA, the Bible tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature. That as we stare at him, the divine nature is awakened on the inside of us. And we begin to shine with the same light that he shined with. And that we begin lighting up the darkness because his light begins to radiate from us. 
Not sinning is amazing, but it is the beginning. You were made. You were made to light up the world. And we light up the world by beholding him and becoming like him. Amen. The same spirit, the Bible says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has quickened our mortal bodies. I want to end with these just couple of verses this morning. Let's go ahead and just stand together as I read these. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image, the icon of the invisible God. He is what God looks like. If you want to know what the Father looks like, you don't, if you want to know what the Father looks like, you look at the person of Jesus. That's where you start. Everything else in Scripture in worship music, in anything else, the Father has to be viewed through the lens of Jesus. If you don't see it in Jesus, it's not in the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. And then look at this. The firstborn over all of creation. If he's the firstborn, then that implies that others will follow. And we don't have to just look at it, applying that. Look here in Romans chapter 8. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, we might, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That you were predestined to be conformed into his image. That he is the firstborn and we are what follows. And then one more for you here this morning, Colossians chapter three. And as Christ himself is seen, look at that again, he's seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. Guess what that word revealed is? Fano, I've lost it. Fanirao. You will be revealed. Who you really are will be revealed. When you see him as he is, who you really are is revealed. For you are now, look at this, one with him in glory. In the Old Testament, it says that God does not share his glory with another. But in the New Testament, over and over again, it tells us that we share in the glory of God. How is that? How are those, that seems contradictory. It's not contradictory. He doesn't share his glory with another, but we're not another. We are one with him. Perichoresis, the circle dance. We are one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And because we are one with him, we share in the glory that he has. For you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed. I love that. Are we there yet? <laughs> Trick question, isn't it? <laughs> Every theological question could be answered like this. Yes and no. We are continually, we are sons and daughters of God now. 
We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus now, but we are continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you. Giving you the full revelation of God. You, church, have the DNA of God living on the inside of you. And as we behold him, we are continually being renewed into that image. That DNA continually is coming out. It's being transfigured into his very image and likeness. We are his mere images. Hallelujah. This revelation should change the way we perceive ourselves and the world around us. That we are not weak, anemic sinners waiting for the day to be swept away to another world in heaven. That is not the story in Scripture. That is not what he came to do. He was manifested to eradicate sin and to awaken the gene on the inside of you. To awaken the divine nature on the inside of you. And we are continually being renewed into his image. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus. God, we honor you above everything else. And Father, we commit ourselves to turning our face to you, not just on Sunday morning, but continually turning our face to you. That way we may behold your beauty and your glory. Church, I, I just, I encourage you to set aside times during the week where you can just steal away into his presence where you can just behold him. And sometimes that may be reading scripture. Sometimes that may be putting on music and worship. And, and sometimes it may just be sitting quietly and meditating on the reality of what is on the inside of you. Meditating on the fact that he is in me and I am in him. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of me. It's called contemplative prayer. There's not many words spoken, but it's just coming in and sitting in the reality of who he has called us and created us to be. Find time to behold him. And as you find time to behold him, you are continually being renewed into his image and his likeness. Father, I pray that you would continually be awakening that divine nature on the inside of us, Jesus. Father, that stepping out of a lifestyle of sin would just be the foundation in the beginning. But Father, as we step out of that, we would step into becoming your representative on the earth. And that the light that you possess would begin to shine through us because we become more and more like you. God, we give you all the glory this morning.
Help us to receive this revelation that it wouldn't be knowledge, that it wouldn't be just a sermon, but Father, it would become reality on the inside of us. Lord, we give you glory and praise this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.